Hey, so I'm really looking forward to speaking to you today, continuing our series in identity, looking at the life of Joseph. Um, Joseph is just one of my favourite characters in the Bible. I love speaking about him and reading about his life. Uh, he's, a, he's just a good example of what it means to live for the kingdom of God. Do you know what I mean by that? God talks about um, his kingdom. He talks about the kingdom of God uh, being now and being to come. Um, one day he's going he's gonna to come again. The Bible tells us all about Jesus returning and bringing his kingdom uh, with him that we'll all get to, to live in if we know Jesus and all will be right again with the world. And Joseph teaches us a lot about what it means to live for the kingdom of God now when the world isn't perfect, when it's not together, when it isn't just how it should be. Um, he shows us how to be faithful to God and how God is worth pursuing above all things. You know, Joseph, uh, well, we've heard a lot about his life, haven't we? Um, today, I'm particularly focusing on Genesis 41 to 57. Um, Genesis 41, sorry, chapter 41, verse 41 to 57. Uh, and the title, Generous Joe. We're looking particularly at the generosity of Joseph with his time and his money. But um, what I find remarkable about Joe is he's, um, he's, he's just had it so hard. He's had it so rubbish and so tough. He's had such great promises upon his life from God, but yet had it so difficult and so tough, um, but kind of keeps going, do you know, we, um, you've heard all throughout this series is challenges, the guy as a 17 year old bloke has this amazing prophetic message, um, just this great kind of word from God that he kind of wisely unwisely shares of his brothers in a certain way that makes him just want to kill him, but Working that out, he's gone from this kind of favourite son, he's got this awesome cloak, he's kind of loving life, he shares with his brothers, I've got this awesome picture from God, like he's really quite excited. Um, his brother's response to it, I mean, why wouldn't you think I could share something exciting with my family? <laughs> you kind of would, God said something, you want to share it, he does that. His brothers sell him off into slavery, beat him up, chuck him in a ditch, sell him into slavery. At 17, yeah, where this guy, he's followed God faithfully. As far as he knows, he's also just going with God, sharing, why wouldn't he share this amazing word God's given him? He suddenly finds himself a slave, beaten up, rejected, chucked away by his brothers. That's pretty tough. If that's not going to make you doubt your faith or doubt kind of God, I don't know what will. But he, he doesn't, he perseveres, he, he, he ends up a slave, but he, he works hard as a slave. Do you know, he's... he's um, He's in a position, he's got no real ability to be generous or kind of do anything with it. He doesn't get, I don't think you get paid to be a slave. I think the whole idea is you've been uh, taken into captivity and actually sold as a possession. That's what slavery is, isn't it? You're owned by someone. Um, but he works really hard to the point where Potiphar, his owner, brings him into, gives him a good position, almost kind of promotes him as much as you can do as a slave um, into good responsibility. And he's faithful. He works really, really hard. But he's, you know, we've heard about he's given the opportunity to mess about with Potiphar's wife. Um, she comes on to him. He kind of says, do you know what? I'm not going to sin against God. I'm not doing this. I'm not messing about. 
I'm serving God and we're, we're not going to do this. I'm not, I will not sin against God. Um, it kind of makes us stand. Even though, um, to be honest with you, it had just been a lot easier to give in. For him, it would have been. like Probably no one would have found out. Also, like, what's that harm? It's, it's, it's not like he's going to have massive loyalty towards his boss. It's not like his boss is a really nice guy. Although he's kind of brought him up to position, he still owns him as a slave. Um, but he doesn't. When Potiphar's wife really corners him, he, he just shows us what a character, what a man of God looks like. In that he just doesn't want to mess about with it. He doesn't try and battle this thing with Bible passages. He just legs it. He thinks, I'm not having this. I'm gone. I'm getting out of here. I'm not going to mess about with this sin. And he runs away from Potiphar's wife, um, which again goes horribly wrong for him. He stood by God. He's, he's, he's been honourable to, to say, I'm not going to sin against God. I'm also going to be honourable against my slave master um, because it's, that's being honourable to God. And he's chucked into prison for it. You know, a load of lies are made up about him. He's chucked into prison. Man, again. How does he question that? How does he work this out? Is he still holding on to this word he had from God that, um, you know, God's going to lift him high? Is he holding on to that still and thinking, it must come, but he's now found himself in prison. Um, for enough for, for doing the right thing, <laughs> he's in prison. And he's thinking, man. But he works hard still. At that point, he doesn't give up. He could give up. He doesn't give up. He's so generous of his time. He just, he gets on with it. He works hard. He, he serves the people around him to the point where the prison guard makes him kind of quite a high official within the, within the prison as much as you can as a prisoner. He puts him in charge of a lot of the goings-on of what goes on around the jail. And um, to the point where he's obviously got some respect of the people around him because there's um, two other guys that are in the prison, Pharaoh's um, wine taster and his baker. Uh, they're having a chat about their dreams and Joseph is evidently in enough respectable position where they listen to him as he interprets their dreams and he interprets them accurately. And again, Joseph is being faithful to God. God gives him this, this, this uh, interpretation for these dreams and he interprets them. So rather than Joseph going, my life is rubbish, God. What are you doing? Like, I have not deserved anything. I was like, my, father's, my father was pretty rich. My family were quite wealthy. I was a favorite son. It was all going well. Here I am in prison after being a slave forever long, probably going to get executed. He doesn't whinge about it. He gets some of it. He works hard. And now he's sharing the interpretation of these guys' dreams. Says to the fellow who's going to get out, a wine taster, uh, remember me. And we know it took two years before the guy then actually spoke to Pharaoh. You think, wow, by that point, surely Joseph has had enough. Two more years in prison after being again faithful to God and serving with all his heart. But it doesn't show that he gives up. He gets taken in front of Pharaoh interprets Pharaoh's dreams, so again, and gives all the glory to God all throughout. He says, I can't, but God can. That was our message last week. And he interprets Pharaoh's dreams to the point where he also gives godly wisdom among it. He tells him about what the dreams mean, the fat calves and the skinny calves. And, uh, and he kind of talks about how this massive famine is coming, but you're going to have seven years of abundance before it. And he kind of then gives wisdom off of it. This is what you must do then. Therefore, um, he doesn't even just give the word. He gives godly wisdom into it. He says, you must now budget. We must save up in these years of abundance. Pharaoh is so impressed that he says, right, you're going to be prime minister. He goes from prisoner to literally the second most powerful guy probably in the world underneath Pharaoh at that time. Man. He takes the job. I don't know how I would have been with as Joseph. The Egyptians haven't exactly treated him well. 
His brothers haven't treated him well. No one's kind of um, looked after him. But he takes a job. And he's, um, whether he had much of a choice or not. But he, uh, he's suddenly clothed in riches. We'll pick up the story here. Let's go, to, um, let's go to the Bible and read it. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. There's a kind of passing on of authority here in this, in this giving of this um, signet ring. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. This guy's no slave anymore. Um, this guy's come a long way, Joseph. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command. The people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. Without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Just to give you an idea, it's been 13 years of kind of hardship Joseph's gone through. He was 17 when he was first sold into slavery. So he's lost his youth, um, kind of going into slavery, into imprisonment. Man, the guy's had it difficult and he's, he's now 30 when he's put into this. So it's 13 years of hardship waiting for this promise from God to be fulfilled. During the seven years of a... And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put food grown in the fields surrounding it. There's a good thing to learn here from him. We know from governments that we see, generally they're not great at storing up in times of abundance. Yeah? Recessions don't happen because people have budgeted well, generally, or kind of money hardships or even kind of national poverty um, in some countries. Joseph's showing here something of his wisdom of government um, and that carrying on God's wisdom. He's not suddenly taken power here and let it go to his head and kind of um, just gone living the lavish lifestyle. I've been poor for 13 years. Now I get to live this lavish lifestyle and love it. I'm super powerful. No one can say anything against me. Now he's still faithful to it. For seven years, during all this abundance, he's storing it. He's saving it. He's putting it away, ready for the hardship that's to come. In each city, he put the food grown and the field surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sea of the sand. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. It's just so much stuff, he couldn't even count it. So he's recording, he's, he's saving even more than he needs. Um, he's just so honourable to his word that for these seven years, he's going to budget well because he knows hard times are to come. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by um, Asenath, daughter of Potiphar. A uh, priest of On, a different Potiphar, not the, uh, not the one he was a slave uh, of. Joseph named his fir- firstborn son, I'm not very good at the Hebrew names, but uh, Manasseh, Manasseh, and said it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance came to an end and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. He just really honours God even through this, like he's now made it to power, but he, he gives the glory back to God. He could quite easily say, I was a slave, like started from the bottom, now I'm here, that kind of thing. Like he can't say, I was a slave, I was a prisoner, um, but I grafted, I worked hard, I made it right from the bottom all the way to the top. Look at how good I am. He doesn't do that, actually. Um, he, um, 
He honors God. He names his kids to say, God has made me forget the trouble of my father's household. He remembers the hard times, but said, it's God who's brought me out of it. And he says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. He goes, I'm in that place where I've had all this suffering. And actually, rather than moan about it, or go on, God, this has been, like, I hate Egypt. Like, it's so rubbish. It's been rubbish for me. He actually says, no, God, you've, you've made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Praise you, Lord, that in this land that's been really hard for me, I'm now ruling over. That's all you, God. He just gives God full glory. Full glory. Seven years in abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph has said. We're now in a time of hardship. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the, Pharaoh cried to f- the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouse and sold the grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and the whole world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. And the fact he even opens the storehouses up, you know, there's no kind of let me get on back on the Egyptians now, let me kind of lord this over them. He's, he's even generous, although he messes his brothers about a bit, as we'll read later on in the story um, on another day. Um, he, he provides for them too, and actually all Israel ends up having this land of plenty. The whole Israel nation starts here in this Egyptian thing, although it goes wrong for them and Moses has to lead them out in Exodus. Actually, because of Joseph's generosity and his hard work, the Ian's family end up being so blessed in this land. They end up having everything needed. And all the Egyptians and the people surrounding it, because of Joseph's budgeting and the way he generously budgets and then opens everything up, no one ends up starving in this land of severe time of severe famine. Seven years of severe famine that should wipe out many people. Actually, they're okay because of Joseph's great planning. He's honoring to God and he uses God's wisdom. And as we read, gives the glory back to God. We've got so much to learn here from Joseph. Do you know that? About generosity. Um, and I think the biggest thing to learn from him is, is who are you serving? Do you know, I mentioned at the beginning about the kingdom of God, didn't I? And um, are we serving the kingdom of God or the kingdom of man? Because the Bible tells us you can't serve two masters. And if you're not serving God, then you're, you're just serving the world and you're in the world. Do you know, but when we follow Jesus, it talks about us becoming in Christ. While none of us will be perfect, no, that's why Jesus died. There's grace. Praise God for that. Actually, there is something about um, living sacrificially for Jesus because he came and lived totally sacrificially for us, isn't there? And it's about living sacrificially for God's people. Um, I want to look a bit at Matthew 25, what Jesus talks about. Because when he talks about what it will be like at the end of days, he says the kingdom of God. So he's talking about the end of times. What the Bible promises that one day Jesus will turn up again. He will come again and there'll be no doubt it's Jesus. There won't be, a, there won't be confusion this time. Revelation kind of makes it, the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, makes it quite clear that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be obviously him. But at that time, that's it. That's the end. And it says it will come, he'll come like a thief in the night. It says we won't know when it will happen. All we know, it will happen later today. Jesus will just return. And I always think we have to ask ourselves, what is our treasure buried in? And to realize how we feel about that is how will we feel when Jesus returns? Will we feel we've stored our treasure into the right stuff 
into eternal things? Or actually, is it into stuff that will perish with the world? Do you know what I mean by that? So a good way to talk about it. So Joseph teaches us about budgeting, doesn't he? Because he, he spends seven years carefully budgeting so he's able to be generous in the seven years of famine. He doesn't just respond in the moment. There's actually planning that's gone on to it. So I don't know if you do a budget. Uh, me and my wife have learned a lot about budgeting. And uh, we've learned about budgeting with finances because we just find it helps us. Actually, if I want to give generously to the church, yeah, so we, we, give, we tithe to the church. We do it by direct debit. We're able to. We have a, uh, praise God, we have a consistent income. So can, um, so can give by direct debit and regularly um, every month. Uh, but to do that, one, generously, but also... Two, not to the point where we go into debt, uh, we budget. So I know what bills are going out of our account. I know how much we need for food. I also know how much we earn, so therefore how much we want to give. Our giving comes out before I've even worked out food and other bills um, because I want to give away a good percentage of our income. Um, and we do that all by a budget. So at the end of the month, we're not ending up in debt. Um, and we've planned to do that. Now, some months we have money left over. Brilliant. Some months we don't. Do you know, there are seasons we've gone through and uh, where, we, where we have less money. My wife's on maternity leave. We're now on one income rather than two. Um, finances change. That's where budgets are good because you react to your financial situation. But throughout, we're able to consistently give and give generously because we budget. And we budget for things further to come. Special offerings are a good example. Um, do you know, I don't want to just give out of what's left in that month. Actually, we plan, we save to be able to give generously to a special offering or maybe to something else. There's a family in need in the church or there's um, some crisis that happens in the world that actually we would love to give extra to. We would love to give more than we were planning to give. Um, so by us saving to be generous, it means that we've budgeted. And time is a biggest one, I think. So often we say, especially where I live in London, it's so easy to say, I just don't have any time. I can't serve in a church or I can't help people or I can't volunteer here or here because I don't have time. Actually, me and my wife again have learned about the need to budget time. So I am quite a carefree person. I will, um, I will go in the moment with things. I don't mind kind of jumping from here to here to here. Um, but actually, you can't do that when you have a family. <laughs> you know, we've got a kid now, and you need to plan your time out because either I'll end up doing so much for the church, my family never see me, um, or being elsewhere, uh, or I'll never get to spend time with friends, um, or I'll never do anything for the church because all I'm spending time with is family and, and friends, say. Um, and actually, I want to be able to be used by God and serve Him. And there is sacrifice to serving the kingdom of God. There is, isn't there? We can't, it's not the same as when we live um, just a kind of normal, comfortable life. Or even like um, our battle is, you know, none of, most of our friends uh, don't believe in Jesus like we do. So what they're living for is completely different. And actually to comparison to them, it's quite hard to think how often I'm, I'm maybe not at home in the evening or, or not, um, not around because I'm, I'm serving God somewhere into where he's called us. But actually, again, it's what are we living for? And so we budget our time to make sure that we have time to serve and time to do holidays and spend time with the family and spend time with friends. And that way we can do it. it what it means is I don't say yes to everything because I can't um, and we budgeted it. But it means that I don't say no to everything or to things because actually we've planned to be generous with our time, to give it out. Um, 
So there's budgeting. We want to make sure we're serving. We want to make sure we're being generous of our money as much as we're able to be. And budgeting allows us to do that. But then there is the in-the-moment stuff, isn't there? There's the spontaneity of generosity, which we should have as well. Um, I think something I've been learning with God. So I spoke about another message about um, the London bubble, I called it. Yeah, um, Living in London, it's very easy to... Uh, just shut off from the world, you know. You put your headphones in, you kind of don't want to chat with someone. I'm on my way to work, or I'm busy, I'm going to this meeting, or I'm going to school, or I'm, I'm just going to this place, and I don't want to engage with the world. I just want my time, yeah. Uh, I'm on the tube, you don't want to give eye contact to anyone, your headphones are in, you shut off from the world. Actually, there's something, um, there's something in letting that bubble pop. And I've been really praying into this for myself. The last year I've gone on this real journey with this about not living within a bubble, but just looking up and out and going, God, what are you doing right now? So we've got the budget in. We're planning for God what you're going to do in the future. Or God, let us be ready for what you're going to do in the future. But as to what, God, what are you going to do right now? And actually, I don't want to be like most Londoners um, you know when an incident happens or even something happens, a general reflex is phone out and record it or just walk on and assume someone else is going to deal with that. It can even be someone gets run over. The first thing that happens is everyone films here. Um, I've seen that happen, uh, which is horrible, but it's kind of a very impersonal culture in a way. Um, if you're not part of my inner bubble, my inner circle, I'm kind of not going to get involved in that and come out of it. Actually, I really said, God, will you help me? And that's, you know, loads of little things have happened out of that, you know, um, helping old ladies up the stairs, maybe opening a door for someone, just little simple stuff to get out of the bubble and just, just be Christ in the world, just to help people. Um, I think one of the fears you have to get over, and I had to even, like, especially with opening doors for people, is that kind of thing, what about if someone gets offended, you know, like as a bloke as well, if what about if I open a door for women and they go, oh, you chauvinistic idiot, you can't be doing that. Like, that's, um, do you know, I think if people are getting offended by you doing nice stuff, that's probably more their issue than yours, I think. You know, I, to be fair, I've never had anyone give me rubbish for being nice to them. Some people have said, I'm all right, thanks. But people are just generally quite surprised that you go out of your way to help me. It might be, can I help you put your shopping, um, carry your shopman to your door, or can I help you? Or whatever. One little story I'll share with you of where God taught me this by me getting it wrong, to be honest, and then getting it right and being obedient. Um, there's a homeless guy who uh, used to come to this, to this venue. Um, he passed away recently, sadly. He came to Wimbledon, he came to. Um, and he passed away recently. And he, uh, he's a guy called Richard. And I met him uh, outside Tesco's in, in Wimbledon, which is near where I live and right close to the Wimbledon venue um, where I go to church. And he, um, I was coming back from a night out. It was late at night and I just wanted to get home, wanted to get back to my wife. I was kind of done for the night. Um, and I walked past him and I felt God really prompt me. I felt God really say, you need to um, give this guy some money. Yeah, I don't know your kind of view on different people have different views about giving money out to homeless people. I don't know. Personally, I, I was okay with it in a moment. I felt God saying, give, um, give this guy some money. Um, but I, only knew, I knew I only had notes on me. I knew I didn't have any change. I only had notes in my wallet, um, which are kind of always bigger sums of money. Yeah, they never, You can't just give them the little bits of kind of one or two pounds that were in your pocket. You only had certain sums of money. So I, um, I said to God, all right, God, if I've got a fiver, I'll give it to him. 
Yeah, I was thinking this my negotiation with God. I don't want to be whipping out a 50-pound note or something. Not that I ever have them, but you never know. So I said, I only do it. And I pulled out, my, pulled out my wallet, took out the note, and I had a tenner. That's all I had, 10 pounds. I said, sorry, God, I've only got a tenner. <laughs> and uh, walked off. And, um, oh, man, just, you know that moment when um, you say something silly and the other person doesn't need to say anything. They just look at you. It kind of felt like that was happening with me and God in that moment. I just felt him kind of going, not like disappointed, but just going, Did you, do you mean that, Dan? Is that what you said? And I kind of felt, oh, all right, God, I'm going to give him, I'll give him the tenor. I'll give him the tenor. I felt like, what's the tenor? Um, he needs it more than I do. Um, I wouldn't have spent it on anything important. <laughs> and I thought, all right, I'll give him a tenor. So I went up to the guy and I gave him a tenor. And then I went to walk away. I said, here, mate, here's this. Enjoy it. And I walked away. And I just felt God really prompt me in this moment. Yeah, I felt that kind of whole thing of Acts 2, you know, when Peter and John uh, meet the beggar at the gate and they say to him, silver and gold I don't actually have, but what I do have I'll give to you. And they say to him in the name of Jesus, walk. Um, I felt God really teach me about wealth and treasure in that moment. And because I live in the West, my teaching on wealth is money, prosperity, career, having a good career, having these good jobs. And actually, what I learned in that moment is, man, I am, my treasure is stored up in the wrong stuff right there in my view of wealth. Because I've got immense value of the kingdom of God. I'm walking as an ambassador of Christ. I have something of far more value to give to this guy. I felt God saying right then and there, that money is nothing in comparison to the kingdom of God. He will not take that 10 pounds of him to where he's going to go next when he dies. I've got something of far more value for him to have and you are carrying it down. <laughs> and then and there I went back to him and said, look, this is going to sound really weird, but um, I'm a Christian and I believe that Jesus answers prayers and I love to pray for people can I pray for you, please? Would you mind? Is there anything I can pray for? And he said, yeah. He said, I'd love you to pray with me. And do you know what? Even just the fact that I was chatting with him meant well to him. And um, I ended up sitting on the ground. We were just outside there. The generosity of him, his mates there as well. And they give me a sleeping bag to sit on. Kind of the generosity of a homeless guy just saying, here, have my stuff as well. Let's, let's share. And we sat and we chatted and we chatted about Jesus and he had this knowledge of the Bible. He shared with me his story. Um, man, he 20 years of living on the street and just real hard life. And he just spoke about his treasure being in... Um, what, no, he, he just spoke about kind of the lack of what he had and I got to speak about actually the treasure we have in Jesus Christ and the hope we have in what's to come. And right then and there, um, while I'm trying to teach him about something, I'm learning more and more about the eternal value of what Jesus has given us. We don't want to store our stuff in, in things. that our, our treasure doesn't want to be stored in stuff that's going to fade away. Let me tell you, you will not take your career with you to heaven. More likely, no one's going to remember you. Do you know that for your career? You're not going to take your money, even your pensions. I'm not saying none of this is bad stuff, but I'm just saying you're not going to take it with you. And if that is all you store, your treasure and your wealth in, let me tell you, you're missing out. And so are the people that God has put in your life. Because you have got far more wealth to give out than even your finances and your time. There's something of the kingdom of God that we are carrying now that we are to share. Jesus says in Matthew 25, yeah, which is he tells a couple of parables about what it will look like at the end of days. And he says that on, on, the, on the last parable he shares, now he talks about sheep and goats, and he says, um, on one side of the sheep, and he says to them, 
at the end, well done, my good and faithful servants. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you, you gave me drink. You clothed me. You visited me in prison. They're going, when did we do this for you, Lord? They're saying, when you did for the brothers and sisters, you did for me. He's saying, the time you gave up, the money and finance you gave up, you did that for me. This is Joseph, isn't it? When Joseph is serving his slave master, when he's serving in prison, he's not doing it because he respects the prison guards or even the judicial system because he doesn't. He's in prison unjustly. He's doing it because he loves Jesus and he wants to serve God. Because he wants to serve God. And that's got to be our heart and attitude. Jesus says to the ones on the other side, the, the goats, he says to them, man, you did not do that for me. He says, I don't know you. He talks about that they're people that will think they're getting into heaven because they're people he has to say to, I didn't know you. So there'll be people standing there at the end of days going, here I am, Lord. Here I am, I believed in you. And Jesus will say, that's not enough. The devil believes in me. You didn't follow me. Every opportunity you had to feed my people, you missed it. You were too worried about burying your own treasure. You were too worried about the things of this life. You never had that eternal perspective. Let me tell you right now, we will not know when Jesus is coming back. He will just turn up and it could be today. And it will be glorious. Don't get me wrong. It will be a great day. But there's something in me that goes, Lord, not yet, because there's so many people in my life that don't yet know him. There's so many people in the community. There's so many people, do you know what, that I go to church with that are not yet saved, that will be the ones on the other side that Jesus says, I didn't know you. There'll be people listening right now as I speak that have not yet said, Lord, I'm in. Let me give my all to you. It's why Jesus says, for the rich man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle because it's hard following Jesus. I don't want to paint this up as something, but let me tell you something. It is of such immense value. The wealth you have in him. And do you know what? We have to do nothing to earn it. He died on a cross and he rose again so that all kind of shame, all guilt, all sin is taken away and we will spend eternity with him in heaven, guaranteed if we put our faith in Jesus. That's guaranteed. You haven't got to earn that or work for that. The other bit is now, what do we do about it? If we say, all right, Lord, I'm in you. I want to follow you. I'm in Christ. Then it's going, now let's live like Christ in. Yeah? And that's what it means to serve the kingdom of God. And that's what Joseph is teaching us here. And that's what it means to be generous like Joe. It's that our money, was ne- our money and our time was never ours in the first place, but it's God's. And God has promised us eternity in paradise. We have all the wealth we'll ever need for all eternity. Let me tell you that. Max, you've got 80 years in this life. All eternity, you're going to have all the wealth, all the comfort, all the brilliance you will ever need. There'll be no suffering, no pain. God is calling you right now to serve the kingdom of God. I just want us to spend a moment reflecting on what that means for us. Yeah? Because what I don't want you to do is go away from here convicted and condemned. Because remember, 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 you are under grace. Jesus died and rose again because he knew we weren't perfect. It can never be. I haven't got this right yet. God is good though and he loves you. And that's why he died for you. So don't worry that you haven't got this right yet. But I want you to reflect on what does it mean for you to follow the kingdom of God. For some people that is going to mean giving up careers. Do you know that? Or saying no to a promotion. My dad is such a good example of this. Before he worked for the church, I watched him 
give down promotion after promotion after promotion because he was determined that he needed his time to give to his family and to the church more than he did having this great kind of prosperous career. What an honourable guy. He had enough. He didn't need more money. He, what he needed was to be able to keep investing his time. And there will be some people that will, that will be a thing for them. They'll have to work out maybe it's career. Uh, maybe it's just how you spend your money, you know, maybe there is, maybe your money is, as you do a budget, you work out, do you know what, I spend far more money on just treating myself, there's nothing wrong with, but actually most of my money is spent on that, I don't actually give anything to the church, or to the poor, or to whatever kind of charity strikes your heart, um, man, that's a good challenge, or your time, I'm always too busy, I'm not in any serving team, I don't get involved in a life group, or some kind of home group, because I haven't got time, um, I don't always go on a Sunday, because I haven't got time, Work out what's taking up your time because that's where your treasure is. And it might be that you go, do you know what? That thing, although maybe not bad, is not worth more to me than God. And I need to be able to cut time back from that so I can give more to this. Because one day I promise you, you'll stand before him. And you'll be of the sheep or you'll be of the goats. But let God lead you right now into being a sheep, being walking part of his flock and to serve in the rest of his flock in whatever way he calls you to. Let's spend a moment reflecting. I'm going to pray and then it'd be great for you to just spend some time just reflecting on what is God calling you to? What's God calling you to give up? What's God calling you into, to serve into? What's the area he's saying, this is you? But maybe even more than that, maybe God is just calling you right now to surrender. For the first time to say, I'm going to be part of this kingdom of God, Lord. I'm not going to sit on the fence anymore. I'm not going to walk around this. I want to go for it. I made that decision at one point seven years ago. I had to say, all right, God, I'm in. I'm going to serve the kingdom of God, no longer the kingdom of man. Maybe that's your time today to do that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, I thank you that you, you, you set such a good example for us, Lord, and what it means to, to, to follow God. To, to follow you. You gave us an example of how to follow you, Jesus. We've got examples like Joseph in the Bible, and I thank you for that, of what it means to be sacrificial men and women for the kingdom of God, Lord. And I thank you that you've called us to be part of the kingdom of God. It is a calling, Lord, because you promise us and you say to us that all suffering and everything in this earth will come to an end, and therefore, Lord, you've called us into eternity with you, if we're calling to and that is great. What good news. And more than that, you've called us to then partner with you to bring the message of the good news and to bring the kingdom of God into our communities, into our homes, into our workplaces. So that actually when this, when this very short time of what's left of this earth does come to an end, we see as many people stand with you in glory and we just get to enjoy eternity in paradise, Lord. I just pray right now, Lord, you convict us of what we need to be convicted of, Lord. You challenge us in areas of our life that we need to lay down, Lord. Areas we're just not taking you seriously, Lord, or giving over to you, Lord. And you give us real sacrificial, generous hearts. I pray for those that are in positions of extreme authority, Lord, that have power like Joseph did at the end, that you make them faithful with it. You make them honest. You make them good. You allow them to use that position to bless others, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> I pray for those in hardship, in poverty, in difficulty, Lord, that actually you, you elevate them out of that, Lord Jesus, but also you allow them to see how they can be used even in that situation, Lord God. There is no situation where you don't use us. Joseph was used. Let us follow his example 
of how he was used in his hardship, Lord Jesus. Use us, equip us, guide us, protect us, Lord. And ultimately, will you save us, Lord, for those that need to respond to you for the first time today. Lord, that enough is enough, Lord, of kind of walking these two roads or, or just peering in through the door at what is Christianity, Lord. I pray today that people come to genuine surrender to you, Lord. That people genuinely see you for who you are and desire today to follow the kingdom of God so that they can join us forever in eternity and paradise with you, Lord. Do that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.